Hey there, Tropicats and Depressionistas. I hope you're surviving the hottest Florida summer ever, all right? We've got an incredible guest for you this week. Author Jeff Vandermeer, the Nebula and Hugo award-winning, New York Times best-selling, many times over, weird and speculative fiction author, and spouse of the wonderful Anne Vandermeer, stopped by this weekend to discuss his recent work on the ongoing desecration of Florida's wild spaces and public resources for nihilistic short-term profit. Vandermeer has been on a Florida affairs tear lately, taking a brief detour from continuing his acclaimed Southern Reach trilogy to produce a spate of excellent nonfiction pieces about Florida's political economy. He analyzes the current state of development, the Ron DeSantis phenomenon, and a real-life environmental dystopian future Floridians must band together to avoid. He argues now is the time to stand up and fight for Florida's natural wonder, especially against attacks like a ghastly local government vote coming up tomorrow at the Wakulla County Commission. Commissioners will take up an unconscionable proposal to essentially permit a gas station along caves above the world's largest, deepest freshwater spring. We'll share details about how you can help. Too well known to be just a cult legend, too awesome to ever be overexposed, Jeff was very kind to stop by the show. We thank him for coming on. This week's episode was recorded live in downtown Tallahassee. Speaking of which, if you're here in town, do yourself a favor and check out the Knox Market Deli. 315 John Knox Road, open from 8 until 2, Monday through Friday. Mention this ad for 20% off any sandwich, if you can find it, in the Woodcrest Office Park, Building F. Thanks for listening. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, I used to be a, a work for the state uh, for a company that you know had a lot of contracts with them, and I, I just remember back in the day uh, having a meeting with some agency of um, a state of, of, of FDEP, uh, where part of our job was to make sure that their databases that you know charted water pollution. Uh, air pollution and, and things like that actually spoke to one another because <laughs> they didn't at that time. <laughs> they had to actually request reports of one another for the same land. So, <laughs> so you know that that kind of was my starting point for um, for thinking about the absurdities of, of of how we how we govern and how we create policy and everything else. Um, but you know that that meshed with with this stuff just creates extra layers. I have another series set in North Florida about a strange house on the edge of a ravine in a place a lot like Tallahassee that eventually has a lot of layers to it, a lot like, um, you know, not like The Wire, but The Wire did add different layers of society to each season, and, and each novel in this series does the same thing. And, and without all of this, I don't think that that would actually be possible. Yeah, okay. Um, I, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to note, you know, where... We're uh, in the shadow of the state capitol. We're right across. We're one block yeah. away from the George Bush Republican Center, a block away from the uh, from the New Service of Florida, where I used to work. Yeah. Uh, the the fourth estate, I guess the the third episode, the yeah, third the, season of The Wire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting to note that uh, even interagencies have uh, some of the same experience with uh, transparency that the people and taxpayers of Florida are having. With. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the the main problem is if you put the actual granularity of real life into a novel, your novel winds up being. 
three thousand pages long and they won't read it. So. <laughs> So you can't put all of it in there. Like like a like a state like an Opaga report. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a bespoke Opaga report. <clears throat> well, um, our guest uh, this week is uh, Jeff Vandermeer. If you haven't heard of him, I I don't know what to say. Check out check out Wikipedia. Um, check out IMDb. Um, I uh, we're, we're so glad to have you on, and thanks a lot for for taking some time. Oh sure, absolutely. Well, um, tell us a little bit about you've been on sort of a um, a tour de force of of um, of writing about Florida. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're a hyper ridiculously decorated uh, writer in uh, the areas of sci-fi and fantasy and, and weird fiction. Um, some of our listeners will probably know you as the baby raccoon from online. <laughs> That might need some unpacking, but maybe we'll just let them <laughs> discover what that means. So. They, they, they know, man. I trust these listeners. I trust these people. Hashtag Vanderworld. <laughs> yes. And um, and uh, so what's it been? So you've written for, for Time, Esquire, uh, Current Affairs. Tell, give us a little... Uh, uh, overview of the work that you've been done recent, recently when it comes to Florida politics. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, new to the nonfiction in the sense that you know I've been writing stuff for the New York Times and the LA Times for a while. In fact, my first article was actually about Florida was for the LA Times a few years back, uh, kind of using a Craig Pittman book about Florida as the jumping off point to talk about how you know diverse, how many different Floridas there are, you know, just kind of like a celebration of Florida, including the wilderness. And uh, but that was the first time I'd really uh, been asked to tackle it uh, more directly. And of course, after Annihilation came out, you know, which is ostensibly set in the St. Mark's uh, Wildlife Refuge, I think I got more opportunities to do stuff directly because of that and, and the movie that came out. Um, the movie uh, actually was shot in a marsh in England, which is kind of hilarious if you if you look at the the backgrounds. Uh, and if you're someone like me who hikes a lot in Florida, it's like just like no, that's the wrong plant. But uh, but anyway, so so the point is that that, that kind of opened things up. And then uh, this toll road situation came up uh, a couple years ago uh, where all these Facebook groups uh, in, in parts of Florida near Chiefland were up in arms because the state was trying to ram these toll roads right through all these rural areas. In fact, one, one route that they were seriously considering would have gone through, I don't know, like 17 miles of, of wetlands and right through the middle of a lake. <laughs> And then right through a you know a, a historic African American community, so just like you know what what can we line up in our bullseye uh, that doesn't make any sense at all um, and doesn't make sense in terms of floodplains and whatnot. So luckily enough, I, I asked Current Affairs uh, if they wanted to a piece on that, and, and they did, and they allowed me to to, to do a really long form piece that they called the Annihilation of Florida because of course they had to get their that word in there, um, but it did allow me to kind of like cover everything uh, you know pretty substantially and then that 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 gave me further credentials to 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 kind of delve more into a journalistic kind of approach to things just this uh just today governor chris christie friend of the show um just kidding um uh said something about the florida press he's like i can't believe that desantis is struggling this is just today yeah when he's got i've never seen a more compliant legislature which mm. is true they've rolled over yeah. as we've talked about on the show they've rolled over so hard that mm they've let him draw their own maps that they run on for them. Right. Um, and he also pointed the lack of critical press. Mm. Um, what's your appraisal of, of the Santos's coverage in, in Florida's press? Mm. Um, and, and, and how 
how how the Florida Press Corps is doing covering everything that's going on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it helps that there are some like independent outlets, even like Substack. Like I think it's Jason Garcia mm-hmm. who covers a lot of stuff really well. Um, you know, the Florida Phoenix is out there doing some state stuff. Um, I got to be honest, sometimes I feel like they buy a little bit too much into the Florida man image and, and they need to be more serious uh, about the stuff they're covering. Um, you know, so there is stuff out there in, in Florida, um, but, you know, it really matters on the, on the media market, too. Like, I know we're going to talk about Wakala Springs a little later. And, you know, I've, I've really thought long and hard about how if the Orlando Sentinel was transplanted to North Florida, how that would be all over their front page day and night and they would have all kinds of investigative reporting on it and, and whatnot so it really depends on the media market uh too with regard to desantis uh and also this is something that you know i kind of struggled with like how do i <laughs> how do i write about these issues that sometimes are very hyper local and get national attention for them so one way was to start covering desantis across different um areas of what you might call its platform from the environment to education to just you know in general uh, and then use that uh, to provide local examples of how his approach is kind of destabilizing local government, making it easier for bad acts to occur, um, you know, uh, taking out um, regulation and then also putting in preemption bills that make it harder for local government or and sometimes even give local government the excuse uh, to not uh, actually even enforce ordinances that are on the books that they could enforce. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that trickle-down effect is one thing that I wanted to document and one thing that having um, access to some national media outlets and taking a wider scope, uh, a wider view, uh, really kind of helps. Uh, because, again, on, on the Florida level, yeah, you have, like, political Florida and things like that. But, you know, a lot of those beats, they do need to find the local angle. That's the, that's the irony is, like... There's the local angle and the national angle, but there feels like there's stuff in between that's getting lost uh, about DeSantis and about how Florida is, is going. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Jason Garcia was our guest uh, mm. two episodes ago, and he is absolutely great. Yeah. And I've talked with him about the same about the same thing. There's something to me about state politics, mm. to zoom out a bit, like that just seems to be the perfect level of mm. of government of political mm-hmm. economy to be a backwater mm-hmm. right because everybody knows locally i think locally you know you see your commissioner you see your councilwoman mm-hmm. at the grocery store yeah people are paying attention to what's going mm-hmm. on on cnn at the national level but there's just something about state governments that are just just significant enough to have a lot of authority and and, and broker a lot mm-hmm. of money but the attention seems to not, to not be there as much. Well, I think that, you know, sadly, the um, Republican uh, kind of intent to use boilerplate on certain kinds of uh, bills that they want to pass has kind of made it a national issue. Um, and you could make the case that DeSantis is just one of the most virulent distributors of that kind of boilerplate, except I think he's actually kind of manufacturing and exporting it, so to speak, uh, in terms of policy and, and, and rhetoric at this point. Uh, and, of course, he also has the the um the anchor of one of the the richest states in the in the nation and most populous as opposed to some of these these folks who are trying to do the same thing but (laughs) in states where they just don't they don't have as much of a a power base to kind of export it nationally so to speak so so desantis comes along in in this this point too with you know uh trump having kind of opened things up where i don't think desantis would be that successful um without trump having done that because desantis does does have a real charisma problem. I mean, we would be in real trouble if he had Bill Clinton's charisma. I think about it. I feel grateful for DeSantis's 
absolute lack of juice you know, every day. <laughs> Every I mean, day. it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic and terrifying, right? It would be absolutely hilarious. You know, it'd be the kind of thing I'd be satirizing in fiction. I just, I just feel like I can't because it's just too horrifying. I, uh, I'm not looking forward to the times. You know, as someone who works in local government and here in the process in Tallahassee, um, when uh, when DeSantis is finally, uh, finally defeated mm. for good at the national level, and he's got two more years to just, yes, to just grind his axe right. at the Capitol. As we're, we're going to get into uh, this major upcoming, the reason for the season here, we've got a major vote that kind of is right, a kind of eddy that you know, a tributary mm-hmm. that is right at the intersection of all of these mm-hmm. issues here, coming up with a Wakulla County Commission yeah. vote yeah. Um, authorizing. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but authorizing a the, the, the construction of a gas station uh, right above internationally famous caves uh, that, that are directly feed into um, Wakulla Springs, um, where a creature from the Black Lagoon was shot, <laughs> yeah. Wakulla State Park. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, it's hard to overstate the importance of this into our limestone ecology and this cult is what Florida is as a place. Yeah. Um, but I guess first, before we dive into that, I, tell us a little bit about yourself. What brought you to Tallahassee? Yeah, well, um, I actually grew up in Fiji because my parents were in the Peace Corps, and that's relevant only in that we came back to uh, Ithaca when I was like nine or ten, uh, and in the middle of winter. And although my dad was teaching at Cornell, it was like one winter that was enough, so we tried to find a place with a climate like Fiji and wound up in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, and then lived there. The Fiji of North Central Florida. The Fiji. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the rate of decay is, you know, and the humidity is very similar. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, so, so you know, and I went to University of Florida for a while, and, and, and then I moved up in 92 to Tallahassee when I started dating uh, Anne, who became my wife uh, a few years later. And, um, and Vandermeer, the noted the commute, uh, the uh, the two hours that I tried to make a, an hour and a half on the, the most soulless part of I ten. I've been the there, uh, and uh, no matter how you uh, slice it. And so you know, down there I had Payne's Prairie, you know, which is amazing. Uh, and up here I was looking for something, and I found the St. Mark's uh, Wildlife Refuge, and just kind of fell in love with it and the, and the whole area. And yeah. probably helped that I did this long ass trail, like thirteen miles at St. Mark's, the first time. And I, I, I didn't really know where the road was because I'd picked a time that was in the middle of a thunderstorm. <laughs> and so I got turned around, there's <laughs> lightning everywhere. And I was actually like really close to the road towards the end. But as far as I was concerned, I thought I'd actually gone like way out, like into the marshes in such a way that I might not be able to make it out. So it was a pretty tremendous experience because it's actually kind of a, a blessing in this day and age of phones and GPSs to actually be able to get lost at all anywhere. Um, and, and so that really stuck with me, and 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 I just um, you know slowly became more and more of an advocate for this this area, you know, which is is not about um, just the wildlife, but is also about the quality of life for people in general, and and it just kind of dovetails where we have all these natural resources that if we just keep them in place, we're in good shape for climate crisis, we're in good shape for increased flooding and you know all this other stuff and the more we dismantle this at this key time at the same time that like cities like charlotte and boulder are trying to uh you know preserve their canopies uh, are are crying all trying all this kind of what you might call natural biotech you know even restoring marshes for mosquito control because actually if you have marshes that are biodiverse you control mosquitoes in a way that you don't if you degrade the environment so you know stuff that if you talked about it here unfortunately uh, to certain people, they would just laugh their asses off, like, what are you talking about? But it's actually like the cutting edge, you know? So so that that's that's why I'm so 
passionate about it now is this this irony of um this stuff that we're actively destroying <laughs> yes uh, and it's like we're killing ourselves uh for no particular reason except very very short-term profit uh, you know it's not not anything that's really helping with uh you know sustainability or or with um uh you know housing for for people who can't afford you know five hundred thousand dollars you know i was wondering i know that um you have uh, so along those lines it was it was jarring and pleasantly uh, surprising to see in time magazine your recent story from last month um which congratulations on the publication um to see a pullout quote about um about stopping sprawl in leon county yeah, yeah, yeah. um something that i've spent a lot of my life working towards and i think an urgent problem that kind of yeah. um is emblematic yeah. of it's of intrinsically important in terms yeah. of the wildlife and ecology yeah. in Florida, but also emblematic of mm -hmm. if a really well-educated public sector oriented uh, public populace like this can't stop this stuff, then I think yeah. it augurs really badly for places around the state. Um, I know that um, you have um, probably read from your work um, to the ninety-eight percent of people who know you, more notably uh, for your for for, for your fiction, um, you've given uh, hundreds of readings. I wonder if if you would mind reading from your timepiece. Yeah, if you got it up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, this... Is there a part you wanted me to read? Yeah, I've got this yeah. passage here. If you don't mind, if that's not too long. A regular visitor to the North Florida ravine on the Garden of Eden Trail near the Apalachicola River might bear witness over time not just to the ebb and flow of decay and renewal over the seasons, but how the natural creek at the bottom protects against flooding during thunderstorms, how during times of drought that same creek still flows and the wooded slopes remain cool and shaded. The intricacy of how tiny iridescent sweat bees have evolved to extract pollen from swamp asters and other flowers is not arbitrary. Nor is the feeling of rightness at the dry lurch and uplift of emerging on a path out of a ravine to the overwheeling ache of blue sky across which glides a swallowtail kite fresh off migration, looking down on gnarled pines, gopher tortoises, sudden sand dunes, and the entire landscape of Florida with razor-sharp vision. Nor are any of these details trivial to human survival in an age of climate crisis, Bastions of complex life in Florida or elsewhere support all life, and devalu devaluing them or destroying them is ultimately like jettisoning the greenhouse gardens from a starship headed to Mars. Yeah, um, I think that really roots us well um, in in where we are. Um, well, I think one thing about that passage too is that um, what I wanted to do with the Time article is merge policy with. Uh, specific details of the landscape uh, in a way that I didn't think had been really done before. Uh, in fact, in the original draft that time nixed, the swallowtail kite was our guide through the whole thing. And I think maybe for a longer, more memoir-like piece that would work, but I did agree with them that it would became kind of annoying <laughs> for this kite <laughs> to keep coming into the narrative. As the kite flies. Um, but, you know, but I do think that also what was on my mind was very local there because, you know, some of the Building decisions that seem to be on the horizon now in terms of infill seem like they might actually be infilling some of our urban ravines, which is some of our last green places for wildlife to pass through. And it's also incredibly dangerous uh, and, quite frankly, stupid, uh, given flooding and things like that. It's just absolutely suicidal. Um, and then, you know, this also kind of ties back to DeSantis in this way in that here in this, this town we have 
developers and other others pushing infill, which is perfectly fine usually. But if you are also doing sprawl, then you're not really doing urban infill. And then when you really look at why some of these, uh, so, you know, they bash NIMBYs by being YIMBYs, but they're not really, the, the, the situation is not that situation. It yes. is actually one where they just want to develop everything. But but my point is twofold. First, that um, the, the infill we also have to be careful about because some of the urban forest we have was left that way by planners in the past specifically to do the job that otherwise you have to have a ton of holding ponds for and things like that which do the job less well yes. uh, for actually more cost, which I think is also kind of the point. I mean, I saw, I think it was Blueprint advertising that they're going to have 40 acres of holding ponds being built in Wolani. It was kind of like an opportunity for people to make money off of building holding ponds after destroying the landscape. So, you know, that that's also very troubling. But, but I guess it also is a situation that mirrors what DeSantis is doing, which is to say he will do something good for the environment, and then he will do something bad the next day to help a donor or something like that. So he can point to things that he has done in terms of money for resiliency and whatnot. But the, literally the very next day, he may enact a policy or reward someone in such a way that negates part or all of what he just did. And so we can't be in a situation like that. We need a, we need a, a huge net gain for the quality of life in the wilderness in this, this state if we're going to actually get through climate crisis. You know, and, and in terms of our local government, which, again, I think is emblematic of, of struggles that you see mm -hmm. all across the state, you know, you can't support the annexation in, of Wolani mm -hmm. and, the, and the urban service, the largest urban services right. area expansion we've ever seen, which is going to clear cut untold. I can't even think about how much acreage, yeah. wetlands, mm -hmm. uh, conservation easements being violated, yeah. uh, precious older growth um, mm -hmm. trees out there. Um, and then also say, hey, but I'm a good guy. Uh, right. Look at me. I'm I'm making a buck on an urban infill project. Right. You can't you can't burn the candle at both ends and then say, hey, look, I'm protecting. And, and, and I would also say we need to look at things that seem benign. Unfortunately, um, the word greenway uh, used to me to mean also like a wilderness corridor. Yes. It doesn't necessarily mean that now. If you look at some of the greenways that the city and county are creating, hmm. Sometimes they're clear cutting a lot of trees to create those greenways and then maintaining basically a lawn. So, you know, if people wonder why I sometimes am, am fairly adamant on Facebook about this or that project needing a, another look, and maybe they get weary of questioning everything, it's because we unfortunately need to, because the terms themselves don't even necessarily mean uh, what they meant in the past. You got this. You got at this. I think in your uh, in your current affairs piece, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which which uh, gestures to the name annihilation, mm -hmm. of course. How how these terms themselves mm -hmm. yeah. are are being a part of the board that's being warped and distorted mm -hmm. from the inside. Yeah. You've got this wildlife corridor. Mm -hmm. Talk to us. A Let's just zoom out and talk about yeah, the corridor yeah. project. Yeah. At the same time, you've got um, what seems to be good. Right, and you kind of had uh, environmental. You know, yeah. you had you had you had DeSantis who kind of in 2018 kind of couched himself as like a St. Mm. Pete Times Republican mm -hmm. who was good on the environment. Right, um, and then um, and at the same time, you've got a, a, a conservation corridor project mm -hmm. being headed up by the former VP mm -hmm. of development that has and part of the family too. So yes. it's kind of like that person is still benefiting from Likes Brothers company stuff whether she is actually part of it or not right and she she definitely has a good conservation record in many ways so i don't want to disparage that but what i would like to talk about and and this has been underreported uh and is important because as uh these preemption ordinances and stuff come up 
and we get more development that's less and less regulated, it's really important that the stuff that's supposed to be conservation actually be conservation because it's the only bulwark we're going to have. So that's also riddled through with compromise and things that, that don't make sense. So with the Wildlife Corridor, this has been a vision of biologists and environmentalists in Florida for decades. And then it became it coalesced into something that was actually more of kind of a project that then became kind of both championed and you might say co-opted by both DeSantis and the legislature. Mm-hmm. So now it's, it's, it's more heavily funded um, and everything else, but it has changed somewhat. So the types of things that are happening is, for example, the Likes Brothers, and you might just say this is part of the compromise with conservation, but I would, I would argue that it shouldn't be, um, you know, getting uh, money for not even turning over land for the wildlife corridor, but allowing it to be part of the corridor while retaining ownership of it. And the land in question, the, the parcel that I reported on, you know, 25% of it is eucalyptus plantation and pine plantation with no accountability as to pesticides and herbicides used and definitely not habitat. Like if you want to think of it as a place that maybe a panther can move through, great. But if you want to think of it as actual <laughs> sustaining biodiversity, not so much. And then, you know, I was even very, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, giving them benefit of the doubt on that because if you really look at it closely, another 25 to 50% of that same parcel used to be intensive agriculture. So there's no way in heck that it's actually in any way uh, ideal habitat, even if it's been restored somewhat. So you have a lot of uh, big landowners getting deals like that for the wildlife corridor. Then the leg- legislature put in an ex- extra amendment uh, that means that people who are developers who are actually um, destroying wetlands can use parts of the wildlife corridor as mitigation for it. But what that really means is there's no extra preservation going on. There's no actual extra mitigation. It's really, really a, a weird little loophole there. So, and again, according to your uh, very well-researched yeah. and well-done pieces, I will say, um, uh, according to one of the pieces that you've done recently, uh, pardon me, I forgot which one, but it talks about how some farmers, big, and these are mm, not, these are not the mom and pop time. farmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, these are large agricultural yes. landowners. Yeah. In many cases, legacy yeah. and, and multi-generational that go back, frankly, yeah. to slave plantations and, and orange groves in Central yeah. Florida. Um, you've got people that are being paid by taxpayers. Yeah full market value yeah for conservation purposes mm-hmm. and then being able to <laughs> exploit the land for up to for a decade later and then maybe even 10 years after that according to recent that tweaks is, in state law that is correct and, and see that's the problem with how the initial uh, wilderness wildlife corridor act was set up it's very vague it says you know try to do these things etc cetera, etc cetera. and so what it sets up is a situation where you can do amendment after amendment that affects it um, so you can weaken it until, and you can also at the same time say, oh, we're preserving this much land, we've done this much money. But when you actually look at it, you, you have to actually take a very careful survey. And it's entirely possible that over time, it will save a lot of really high value land. But we don't know that for sure. And we can't trust the, the process. And we can't trust that next year, the legislature won't do another loophole and then another loophole after that. Um, the other thing I see happening is in their attempts to get people more engaged with the, the corridor, um, I'm seeing things uh, on the periphery like like potentially running more, um, you know, bike paths and stuff through, like, like basically, I, as I put it, disnifying this thing that's supposed to be for the wildlife. And one thing that we actually also have to have a debate about is can there be some things that are basically just for the wildlife and maybe we enjoy them on the periphery but we don't run stuff roads and stuff right through them 
just so people can enjoy them mm -hmm. because that defeats the whole purpose of putting the thing together in the first place. Um, you know, so, so my concern too is, is as this develops, you might also see developers taking advantage of it to start developing on the edges of what has become a tourist attraction um, and getting away with it. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like it is a situation where we should be proud of the fact there's a lot of land that's preserved, but we also have to be really uh, on guard as to how, how it develops in the future. If you're still not a patron after hearing our legitimately famous guest just absolutely kicking you the truest truths there are about today's Florida, I don't know what to say. Check out TropicalDepressionFL.com and subscribe, or leave a positive review wherever you listen. Your support really helps. Again, that's TropicalDepressionFL.com. Now back to our chat with Florida's weird fiction laureate, writer Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, you know, the, the press conferences have been held, the ribbons have been cut, mm. uh, the positive yeah. uh, PR is out there, and yeah. these protections are getting weakened more and more as the years go on. Yeah, I mean, that makes me think of DeSantis in general, because him, him like Rick Scott in the past, you know, I had a couple of people tell me off the record that sometimes there would be these big projects down south, and they weren't actually fully complete yet. Um, but he would just have the engineers run water through them so he could ribbon cut them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. almost just... Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, right, right. Yeah. Um, it just Talk about... Um, it just seems like the, the greenwashing of DeSantis mm. is just part and parcel with the mm. greenwashing of what's going on with our state. Yeah. You've got Republicans who... Uh, look, at the end of the day, they see the same polls that everyone else sees. Mm. People in Florida care about the environment. Yeah. People that live along the coast and people that live along yeah. the interior, it's precious to us. Um, and I think it's also essential to our um, to our, our sort of infamously ambiguous mm. identity as people and mm -hmm. as, as a state of Florida. Um, what do you see as, you know, DeSantis is infamous for being kind of the boy in the bubble. Uh, mm -hmm. You see, along with the unfortunate decline of local newsrooms yeah. doing real coverage, mm -hmm. you're seeing at the same time a um, a, a news course scaffolding apparatus mm -hmm. of fake news. Right, the Florida right. Standard, Florida's Voice. Right. In town, we have our own local yokel who's funded, uh, Steve Stewart, mm -hmm. Tallahassee Reports, right, who's right. another fake news rag along the same right. lines. What have you, what, what, just your private thoughts in terms of like, just your personal thoughts. Of, of, you see DeSantis, you've known him for five years. We've been through the experience of living mm -hmm. under the DeSantis uh, free state of Florida regime. What are your reflections on seeing that, how it hits nationally, as we're seeing him in all over, you know, on CNN and Fox well, News and everything every day? I mean, one reason, like, for example, I wrote the piece for Esquire about DeSantis, it was just basically a, a general analysis of how he's wound up in this kind of like oligarchical fascist um, space. Uh, you know, really right-wing ideologically and, and also rewarding all of his donors all the time, which actually undercut some of his own policies. Um, you know, I, I was still, I still had an existential fear that he would catch hold at the national level. And, and to be absolutely honest, because this is a person who is so stubborn and so rigid and unyielding, uh, which is, you know, one of his, his character flaws and one of his flaws as a politician in terms of being able to listen to people no question um my concern is still that even though he is really not doing well that he will stay in long enough that something will happen that will give him some kind of a break and 
I realize that his personality may work against him to the point where that doesn't happen. Uh, but I still feel like he is one of the absolute worst options out there to be president. And it scares the crap out of me that he might even have a shot. And it also scares me that staying in so long may have ramifications that we don't really know yet, regardless of whether he becomes a viable candidate or not. So I've been happy <laughs> to some extent that, that he's stumbled so much. Um, I wish he was stumbling a lot closer to the finish line um, and or, or getting out now. And I just don't I just don't know if he's the kind of person who can admit to doing poorly, to be honest. I, uh, I hear that. And it's so funny here in Florida, in his bubble, in his sphere yeah. of influence, he's been able to sort of just like mm. blithely ignore reality. With, with well, no discernible outcome, except well, and for... control who gets into a press room with him, what questions, and and so yeah, it's been interesting seeing that that's actually hurt him, I think, because he hasn't had the practice. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the practice would actually help him, to mm -hmm. be honest, but <laughs> but he hasn't gotten the practice. He hasn't been, uh, shall we say, inoculated. Right, he uh, hasn't been inoculated. Yeah, and he hasn't. He, he if he had been really smart, and I'm glad he isn't this smart, he would have been inoculated against certain issues by letting them be at the state level first and then this is a, this is something we've already discussed why are we discussing this again you know that kind of thing i really liked um your piece which will which will show in the show notes from esquire mm -hmm. uh ron DeSantis is a uh, a man of no qualities i yeah. wonder if you might read from that piece yeah sure okay this is uh, this is passage uh, in the end it may not matter whether DeSantis is a quote mad king a cipher like rick scott an ideologue, an oligarch, an autocrat, or a rather ordinary politician in the right place at the right time. The effects of DeSantis's actions remain the same, while in his rhetoric he often takes the term bully pulpit as literally as possible. Florida and its people don't deserve this desecration, no place does, even as DeSantis and his Republican predecessors have managed to turn an absolute paradise into a place that is close to a failed state. Because what Ron DeSantis does at base, including to his base, is simple. He inflicts damage in pursuit of political gain, on purpose and with abandon and with no regard for collateral harm. What trickles down then in the end, along with all this freedom, is nepotism, corruption, cruelty, greed, and both by design and as a byproduct of all the rest, shockingly bad ideas about governance. And... Um, you know, the, I, I think the name of the guy is uh, Musil, but this guy wrote this, this book uh, about the man of no qualities, Austrian author. And it was basically about a guy who's a cipher who gets filled up with fascist ideas. I mean, that's not the whole point of the books, but that's basically what happens towards the end. And uh, so, you know, I, I remember getting, I got a lot of flack from DeSantis supporters on this, a man of no qualities. And I kept saying, it's a literary reference, which didn't really make any difference. But <laughs> but it wasn't that I was simply, you know, pulling, just, you know, making an ad hoc attack there. I was trying to make a point about um, this this person and, and who they are. That, uh, you heard from DeSantis's camp about that directly? No, I didn't. But I will tell you uh, what I heard when I submitted questions for the Time article. Uh, I was told I was unprofessional and stupid and not to contact them again. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and they were questions that it would have taken uh, their comms office an hour to answer. Instead, they gave me a bullet point list of um, all the money they spent. You know, so. <laughs> I just could not believe it. I could not believe that, like, the state-level comms office was replying to me in this way. 
Well, this is something that we've seen, and I, I mean, this might be a, a sort of bugaboo of mine as a former member of the yeah. press corps uh, and all that, but I do think that it's it's also just stands in for how the public and the taxpayers are treated under this regime. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, um, you know, they've, they've just taken this explicitly oppositional, uh, defiant tack right, towards right. the press. Um and uh, I think that they're kind of beginning to regret that now. You see DeSantis yeah. sitting down with Jake Tapper on CNN right, right. And, and, and offering uh, articles. Uh, well, yeah, and I mean, the Time article, I mean, was the most excruciating fact check of my life next to the current <laughs> affairs one. Yeah. I mean, it was like literally going to the doctor for some horrible procedure for a week. Um, so, you know, it really went through the ringer. <laughs> Every well, little bit of phrase in it was, you know, examined. Well, thanks for... Thank, thank you for for going for enduring that root canal uh, for this story. <laughs> I, uh, interestingly, I, I just as it happens, weirdly, Florida connections. I went to high school mm. with uh, Ron DeSantis's press secretary, oh, really? Brian uh, Griffin. Congratulations! Well, thank you. Uh, this uh, city and state, a new service thing. Wrote oh, a little yeah, topper yeah. about this one oh. time about me and him <laughs> together. We got quotes from us. But uh, yeah, Brian Griffin, his press secretary, yeah. who is absolutely um, gunning to be, yeah. he wants to be part of the DeSantis White mm-hmm. House. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy with an elite yeah, education yeah. that's come back here. Um, he's kind of one of the main um, people that press this uh, mm-hmm. sort of oppositional, mm-hmm. um, sort of just right. fuck Well, it's less work for them, right? It's like, <laughs> if you're lazy, it's great, because you yeah. don't have to do anything. Yeah. Sorry. But. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, it, it, it does work that way. And um, I think that that's not going to be able to permeate um, nationally, mm-hmm. but I think that we've seen how. Um, hey, what can you say? I mean, wh- how do you? What are we? What moral are we to draw from DeSantis's, you know, eye popping nineteen point reelection victory? Well, I mean, you know, and this was hilarious because the resiliency officer for Florida actually did a, a tweet thread about my time article that I, I found just pretty hilarious to be absolutely honest because like he cited general election stats that he said meant that Floridians believed Ron DeSantis was doing a good job with the environment. It's like for a resiliency officer, I don't think that's how you should be using statistics, frankly. Um, you know, it just, it was just like, okay, well, what is it that Christina Peshaw wants me to put on Twitter or something? But I mean, that's the, that's the, the vibe that I got. Um, but, uh, you know, my my take on it was, first of all, as I recall, there was extremely low turnout. Secondly, he's been doing all this greenwashing and stuff. And, he, and even though he was doing all this extreme stuff in terms of so, the social political areas and, you know, basically, you know, trying to damage already vulnerable communities, you know, he had these other things that he could point to. Mm-hmm. Um, that Again, it's just kind of like a shell game or a facade. Uh, and I also, quite frankly, was not thrilled with charlie chris being the the candidate it's like i felt like by this point you know even though you know he's you know done a lot of things for florida uh (laughs) some of them good i mean he i voted for him you know but but he wouldn't have been i didn't think he was a very um a very strong candidate uh to run against desantis uh desantis has done all this redistricting so it's like you know all this stuff had been done by desantis to set up his own victory as far as i mean you need to correct me if i'm wrong because you're more of an expert on this so so i didn't really take it as any kind of mandate at all it was just simply he weakened the whole system to benefit him he muzzled the press he created his own press he greenwashed he did all this stuff uh and so it wasn't a good playing field and then we didn't have a fresh new voice a vibrant voice you know uh that could really appeal uh, we really needed someone with with that kind of um 
I keep saying it, and I, I mean the charisma. I don't mean the other stuff, the Bill Clinton kind of charisma without the other other stuff. But um, but we needed somebody, you know, somebody. Uh, and, and, and also we needed, a, uh, obviously, a Democratic Party apparatus that was not in disarray. So, you know, from the outside, nationally, I can totally see why people were like, oh, Don DeSantis, wow, he crushed everybody. But, you know, if you really took any kind of look at it, it was like, you know, looking at like a grapefruit that's fallen to the ground and it's half rotted you know it's like it's not going to eat that thing (laughs) that's a you know i think that's a description that can can fairly apply to the state's democratic party which has been known to snatch uh uh defeat uh from the jaws of victory over and over again and i think they 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 absolutely were kind of uh uh kind of complicit and and kind of i think that our, our weak um infirm kind of state party um uh Definitely. I mean, you've got to say, I think, has bolstered Ron DeSantis's artificially no, yeah. inflated mm-hmm. his his um, profile around around the country. Um, so we've talked about uh, DeSantis and we talked about how he's greenwashed and has kind of faked mm-hmm. people, uh, faked uh, uh, an environmental record that's respectable or somehow moderate mm-hmm. when it's been extremely transactional and pay for play and right. extremely one sided on the, and that the part one thing of the I'll say about that is that there were several people off the record, too. And on the record, where I was like, how do you think about DeSantis compared to Rick Scott? And they were all like, well, with Rick Scott, it was like <laughs> below zero. So <laughs> DeSantis at 1% is good. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like you had a guy who like was so bad that DeSantis picks up a pebble and puts it over his head and calls it a boulder and it's yeah, a win. Yeah, know? it's like... It's kind of like negative charisma versus extremely <laughs> feeble charisma. I just remember that uh, my wife witnessed something where Scott was in a, a restaurant here in town and was trying to shake hands with people and like no one would shake his hand. I'm good. I'm good. It's fine. You know, go back to your table. <laughs> I, I I did in the corridors. Pardon me. I don't know what came over me. I saw I saw Rick Scott in the Capitol one day, and I did shake his hand. I've got to say, clammy, clammy. Um, she did an article on the 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 relative appeal of different politicians. No, probably not. <laughs> I, it is. It is. You know. You think about. You think about Marco. Our Senate delegation is Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. Yeah, I know. Well. Um, <laughs> Having said that, <clears throat> what's at stake in this? It's walk- like that uh, Portugal demand song. After you, hell should be easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. Anyway, yeah. No, <laughs> no. I think I think that's right. I think that, that I think that sums up Florida politics well. <laughs> the hellscape. Um, I, I think that I'll be well prepared for for hell in the afterlife after navigating these uh, these corridors. Um, what is going on on uh, the Wakala County Commission on August seventh? Um, and what is at stake? Why are people all around the state um, making uh, sounding alarm bells about a potential gas mm. station by the, mm-hmm. being built by the Southwest Georgia Oil Company right. in an extremely e- ecologically sensitive part of Florida? Well, well, first, what I'd say is that the positive thing is that unlikely coalition you mentioned is the same coalition that came uh, out against the toll roads. And it's people from all political walks of life who probably couldn't agree on almost any other issue, but they do agree that their quality of life is going to be destroyed by this and that they also appreciate the wilderness of Florida mm-hmm. uh, and that they understand the economic value of mm-hmm. these natural places. And mm-hmm. for Wakulla Springs, what's basically happened is that the Southwest uh, Georgia Oil Company, which came back, first tried to do this like in a much more like straightforward manner and then withdrew their request to get a 
16 pump gas station built basically over the cave system keeping in mind that in quincy they had a violation where the pollution from their gas station spread for a half mile so the fact that it might be slightly infinitesimally not directly over is irrelevant it is close enough uh, by their standards their own 44 violations in the state of florida um, that this is an existential threat to the cave system and Wakala Springs. And the thing to remember about the cave systems, it, it's not like there's nothing in there. There's a whole bunch of ecosystems in the caves themselves in addition to Wakala Springs, which is the deepest uh, and, and largest freshwater spring in the world, which is why I feel like if it was in a place that, that felt more distant and therefore less familiar to us, like if we were reading, a, if Tallahassians were write, reading about some threat to something in the Amazon, you know, would get more attention, oddly enough. But we kind of take what Carlos brings for granted, like it's always going to be here. The the fishermen don't. You know, the other people who have to who who, who get economic benefit from the springs and from its reputation. The number of people who have their weddings there, the ecotourism that it itself engenders, um, just the very fact that it's this amazing jewel. You know, so for this company to come back and and basically, uh, you know, in some way. You know, coordinate through this ex-sheriff who's helping them with PR or or whatever lobbying uh, to get the, the 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 commission to supposedly pass an ordinance that protects the spring, but allows for the situation where they can now vote on still putting this gas station <laughs> on top of the caves is something else. The the fact that they would come back instead of just pick another location, and that's why I feel like we need Orlando Sentinel standard investigative reporting on this because i really feel like there need to be some public records requests <laughs> asap and there needs to be a whole lot more light shown on what the situation is because there's something you know really weird about the haste something really weird about this particular location has to be the only place they can put this gas station in there's something really weird and off about how the county reported their conversations with fdp versus what fdp is saying and FDP is saying that, you know, this this issue of like some of the uh, preemption bills that DeSantis signed somehow, you know, having control over this issue and allowing it to be billed, FDP saying, well, that's actually not true. Um, you know, that that's that's worrisome. That's something that 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 means this should be slowed down completely and uh, this should be looked into. There should be kind of an investigation, quite frankly. So. Mm -hmm. You know, but at the very least, this very initiative least, should be yeah. put on hold. I mean, this is the kind of thing that Center for Biological Diversity, which you know is more active out west, usually does lawsuits about. Mm -hmm. You know, because this 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 is this is just it, it's 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 insane, as several people have said. And Peter, uh, 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 George, who from Florida politics, who has me blocked, and who I'm not a, a great fan of, uh, you know, wrote an article about it that's actually the the truest thing he's written in a long time. <laughs> actually agree with mm -hmm. um you know about the springs and just how ridiculous this you know so you talk about people across different lines it's like you know i could have hugged that guy for that that piece mm -hmm. as much as we have our differences mm -hmm. and other things we owe a debt of gratitude to I, yeah we no. all understand that. <clears throat> um so, so what what actions should people take mm -hmm. if they're able to, uh, if, if they'd like to intervene on this upcoming vote? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll put this out on Sunday, so there will be an opportunity mm -hmm. for people to um, to hear this and take yeah. action. And um, uh, tell us a little bit about how that dovetails into some of your other work yeah. um, and rewilding and, right. and some of the grant funding for conservation you've able you've been able to secure. Right. Well, um, I think it's clean. Uh 
Water Wakala or Clean Water Wakala Alliance on Facebook has some of the information on things you can do. Um, they seem to be most active on Facebook, but just putting in uh, Wakala and Clean Water, you'll find what they recommend doing. It's also on my Facebook page. Uh, and and um, basically, there's a place where you can donate money because they are thinking about hiring a lawyer. Um, you know, there's a place where they can they tell you, how, you know, you can um, email the commissioners. Although the commissioner's response uh, to one of those emails uh, uh, that was um, something, I think it was Ralph Pearson who, who said, I can tell you've been lied to. If you call me, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, all those scientists, wrong. Um, so you can do that, showing up at the meeting. I know a lot of people with color are going to show up at the meeting. That's very important. Um, I think after that, if they, if they wind up, God forbid, actually doing this, then people need to call for more information, for slowing this down, uh, for what are these relationships between these commissioners and uh, the oil company and things like that. I think that that's stuff that, that needs more transparency. Yeah. Um, really does. There's really recent, um, deeply shady stuff in the Wakala. Not, you know, in Florida's limestone ecology, mm. everything goes everywhere and right, everyone's right, downstream right. of everything. Right. Uh, but in this case, um, you know, a lot of the shady transactional mm -hmm. influence that goes mm -hmm. on state capital does kind of mm -hmm. run off down down to Alcola. Um, and you've actually had a county administrator mm -hmm. uh, who was kind of um, run out of town in Wakala mm -hmm. yeah. uh, for not disclosing uh, not, not, mm -hmm. not disclosing mm -hmm. uh, relationships um, transactions yeah. that yeah. he's made um, yeah. he's now <laughs> he was over blueprint right uh, our, our local for those who, don't, who are outside of Leon County um, our local uh, penny sales tax uh, for infrastructure, which has been a site of a ton of graft and corruption, mm -hmm. sprawl, a lot of the issues that we're talking mm -hmm. about here. Mm -hmm. um, he's now working at Leon County, um, uh, failing upwards as uh, a lot of the, um, as, as a lot of the uh, folks on the wrong side of Florida's political dynamic often do. Um, but um, so um, there's a there's a nasty history of Tallahassee style backroom mm -hmm. corruption mm -hmm. with even fewer eyes on the process on Wakulla, which is always dangerous to the public interest. Right. Um, agreed very strongly with the need for more um, uh, more inquiry into this. On a more positive note, w tell us about mm -hmm. some of the, the new ecological group that you're involved right. with and some of the grant funding that you've been able to secure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one thing that I'm pretty, you know. What's, pre what's pretty clear is that land conservation, real land conservation, is incredibly important right now um, just because of the preemption bills and things like that and the mm -hmm. amount of development in North Florida. So I wanted to do at least our little part if possible, and so I founded the Sunshine State Biodiversity Group, which is devoted mostly right now, although it will be statewide eventually, uh, to land conservation of sensitive ecosystems uh, and also environmental education. So, for example, we had a whole suite of environmental programming at Word of South. We brought in nationally known writers who wouldn't have been here otherwise to talk about these things. The editor of Orion Magazine. That's awesome. Amy Brady, uh, former editor and, and on the executive board. And now we have upcoming at the Tallahassee Film Festival another, like I think, really groundbreaking suite of eight experimental environmental films, short subject, um, that cover a lot of ground from, you know, films that are set in North Florida to ones from all over the world, but there's a resonance there because a lot of places are, are, are facing the same kinds of challenges that we are. So mm -hmm. there's that educational thing, which I think has a real, you know, really, you know, is, is really useful in terms of community building and, and just bringing things here that wouldn't be here otherwise. That's really our goal is not to kind of replicate what others bring in. But then the land conservation, uh, we did get a $40,000 grant from the Fredman uh, Foundation 
in Miami, uh, which has done stuff with Earth Justice and all of these other uh, organizations across the country. Uh, really thrilled about that. It looks like uh, I can't talk about it yet, but it, it does look like uh, we're getting another $10,000 grant from another foundation. Uh, and we got a $30,000 um, personal donation from someone to work on research about things like urban canopies. Uh, and that's not including the groundswell of small donations. Uh, so for a first year, um, for first six months, um, I'm thrilled because we haven't even done any official fundraising. So, you know, in addition to, you know, I think probably we're going to concentrate on um, Cypress Swamp and uh, and uh, kind of Sand Hill Uplands uh, as the kinds of territory kind of uh, environments we're going to try to preserve property of. Um, we're also going to um, make sure there's always an education component to that. So any project we do is going to be probably hyper-local to North Florida, but the education part, and especially on social media, will be outward-facing for a national audience. Um, we have a lot of projects in development that I'm really, really happy about. So. Congratulations thanks. on that, and thanks so much for, for, the, for starting the Sunshine State Biodiversity Group. Um, we'll definitely be inviting our listeners to contribute oh, and thanks. to take part. Yeah. And um, I mean, the congrats. Uh, I know that we can use all the positive uh, news that we can get. Yeah. And, and that stuff is not only so important for morale mm, right, <laughs> and right. for people who are in this fight, right. um, but for materially. I mean, I think that we are, I think that your work gestures at this uh, mm. explicitly and in sort of the, the tenor mm. of it. We are at an inflection point. We are. <laughs> the future of the state, the yeah. country, I mean, the world, right? I mean, but also locally in North Florida. I mean, we still have a lot of biodiversity. We have a lot of our tree cover. You know, this is the point at which to kind of stand and, and defend it because um, we have to. Mm -hmm. We have to for, for people to be able to live here. <laughs> I wonder on that uh, tone, would you mind reading? Uh, this is from your, from your time piece as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. This, this, uh, I like mm but a better future for Florida isn't rocket science. It just requires wise governance that leads with actual science and best practices while halting desecration of the state's wild places. Resurrecting tools and processes that have been watered down or done away with over the past two Republican administrations would in part suffice, along with the vision and compassion to understand the communities deserve support, not corporations. Um, so true. Um, and so important and, and, and well said. Um, as, we, as we begin to, uh, to wrap up, I, this is such an mm -hmm. uh, infinite uh, topic. And sure. I'm so grateful for your time yeah. as you're working on your novel, Absolution. Mm -hmm. uh, I really appreciate you making, mm -hmm. making this oh, time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, what else would you like to leave us with? Um, just that I am really uh, thrilled to see a lot of engagement from young people in the area, um, from, again, a lot of diverse walks of life. Um, I think people are waking up to the, the issues and the problems and what the solutions are. Um, and uh, I think that there is a lot to be hopeful about um, if we can get past this point. I think that, you know, DeSantis is kind of maybe a harbinger of potential collapse of these, these systems that don't actually work, that don't actually provide results. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other thing is they don't provide results. They don't actually do anything. They just perpetuate themselves. And I think over time, people get wise to that, and they can see that their lives are getting worse, not better. So, <clears throat> Well, um, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> on that happy note. Yeah. On that happy note. <laughs> um, Jeff Vandermeer, um, author, 
uh, baby raccoon on Twitter, uh, <laughs> raccoon experience uh, yeah. curator. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I will say is it's funny how if you pretend to be a baby raccoon on Twitter, people just automatically think you're a nice person. That's just something <laughs> for people to remember if they, you know, get into trouble. Just pretend to be a baby raccoon. Everything will be fine. Oldest trick in the book. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking this time today. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. All right.